Well, church, today we continue in our series based on the life of Elisha called Ridiculous Faith. And Elisha, he's my favorite character in the Old Testament. I love reading all of the miracles he did, all of the mighty things he did for God because of the faith he had. And when I read stories like that, I believe personally that we can still have that same type of ridiculous faith today. Amen. So the message today is going to hopefully be encouraging to everyone, but it's specifically going to speak to those of you who may feel a little bit overwhelmed right now, to those of you who feel like there's too much going on in life, to maybe those of you who are in desperate need today. Maybe you feel like you don't have enough energy. Maybe you feel like you don't have enough patience. Maybe you feel like you don't have enough money. You don't feel like you have enough time. You don't feel like you have enough love. Maybe there are some of you in here this morning that feel like you don't have enough faith. So the big question that we're going to answer this morning is this. What do you do when you don't have much? Say that out loud with me. What do you do when you don't have much? And that's a question I am sure that is on the minds of every single person in this room. In fact, I recently had conversations with multiple people that reminded me how frequent this uh, type of pain can be. I was stopping last week at Get-Go in Wadsworth just to fill up my truck with gas, and I'm just minding my own business. The guy right beside of me, he kind of pokes his head over. You know how the gas pump is right there. He just pokes over. He just starts talking to me just out of the blue. I don't know this guy. I never met him before. But he just shares with me all of his financial struggles, amplified by the pain he was feeling at the pump. Now, this guy was not a believer because he had a few explicatives in his conversations with me. But everybody can relate to that, right? And then I've been counseling with a guy for over a year now that's just been going through some difficult personal stuff, going through a bad divorce. He's doing fine financially, but he is struggling emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And just last week as I was talking to him, he said, Eric, I know God is carrying me, but I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know how much more I can take. Unfortunately, with the rise of inflation, I think with the fall of morality, people are experiencing this type of pain far too often. So what do you do when you don't have much? Well, let's find out what God's word has to say about this through the prophet Elisha. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, you can use your apps on your phones or you can follow along on the screen. I want to begin by just reading the first two verses. Here's how the story starts. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant here has nothing at all. She said, except a small jar of olive oil. So let's break this down together. The first thing that we notice is that this woman does not have a name. We're not quite sure who she is. She's never really mentioned by name in scripture. However, according to Jewish tradition and many Bible scholars, most people believe that this is the wife of the prophet Obadiah. He was the palace administrator for King Ahab. And if this was the case, then it would be no wonder that she was in financial need because Obadiah, kind of what he was known for in Scripture, was hiding and providing 
uh, for a hundred prophets. He hid them away from Queen Jezebel, who just hated and wanted to murder any prophet of Yahweh, any prophet of God. So if this was his wife, which we think that it was, then they would have spent all of their personal resources hiding and providing for these 100 prophets, but they didn't have enough on their own. So they had to borrow funds from King Ahab to pay for the rest. The bottom line is this. This woman was in a devastating position. She just lost her husband. She sold almost everything she owns that is of value, and she still owes significantly more. And now the creditor is coming for her two sons. That's kind of weird, though. But back then, back then, the law said that if you could not pay your debt, then your sons would be uh, used as credit or collateral. So after six years of slave labor, then your debt would be taken care of and your sons would be released back to you. So humanly speaking, if you put yourself in this woman's shoes, she has absolutely no hope. She's got no chance to get out of this situation. It doesn't get worse than this. And that's something that I always try to remember when I face what I like to call life's first world problems. It is dumbfounding to me how upset we can get at silly things that do not matter. For example, maybe you've been to a restaurant. Say it's Longhorn here, right? You've been to a restaurant, you order a salad, and you want ranch on your salad. You say, yeah, I want ranch dressing, but they come out and they put blue cheese dressing on your salad. Does that irk anybody? Or is it just me? Because I'm a ranch snob. I hate blue cheese. Jeff and Brenna love blue cheese. They're the opposite. They don't like ranch. But I can tell when I'm looking at the salad if it has blue cheese dressing on it or not. So if I look at that and it's got blue cheese dressing, it just kind of ruins the rest of the meal. I'm kind of put off by it. That's a first world problem. Am I the only person that deals with that? Come on, church. Or, or maybe, maybe you only got nine likes on your most recent Instagram selfie. Okay, now I'm talking to the younger kids, right? So you only got nine likes. You thought it was a good post, but evidently nobody else did, or at least they didn't take the time to comment. And so you're thinking to yourself, well, what did I do wrong? Was it, should I go from this angle, or maybe I should have taken that mirror shot where it's got my reflection in it, or I know what it was. It was the wrong outfit. I picked the wrong outfit to wear today. Right? And we just get all bent out of shape about things that don't matter. Or maybe, students, maybe you flunked your math test this week. Going into Thanksgiving break, you just failed that test. You know what? It's not the end of the world. That's a first world problem. That's the case for some of us. But I know that many people in this room are dealing with much bigger problems than these. Those are all entry-level problems. Some of us have graduate-level issues that we have to address. Maybe your marriage is barely hanging on, and you don't know how it's going to survive. Or you've got a child that's going down the wrong path, and despite all of your efforts, they are choosing to ignore your wisdom and your advice. Or maybe you're in agony because you're watching someone you love, a family member or a friend, just make very destructive decisions that are ruining their life. Some of you may be like the widow in a tough financial situation, and you don't know how you're going to pay next month's rent. Others of you are a physical or mental health crisis. Either you or someone you love has been given a diagnosis that only a miracle of God can cure. So today, if you feel like you don't have enough, 
if you feel like you're in need, I just want to share with you three encouraging statements that I think can change your perspective and give you hope. Here's the first one. If you want to take notes, jot this down. The first thing, when you don't have what you really want, understand that God is what you really need. When you don't have what you really want, understand that God is what you really need. Take the widow, for example. She's in desperate need, and then she expresses her need to this prophet, Elisha. And what does he do? He immediately makes himself available to her. We see this in verse 2. Look again at his words and read them out loud with me. Here's what he said. How can I help you? Again, how can I help you? Friends, do you want to make a difference in your community, in your home, in your school, in your world? Do you want to be filled with joy? Then I would encourage you, I would challenge you to wake up every single morning and say, Lord, I am available as your divine servant. Show me a need today and help me meet that need for someone else. If you want to be filled with joy, then don't look to yourself. Look to God and look to serve someone else. Lord, I am a divine servant and I am available for you today. Help me see a need and then meet that need. So when someone at the office says, look, I've got a problem. I'm going through something. I'm totally overwhelmed. My kids are driving me crazy. Don't just say, oh, I'm sorry about that. I'll be thinking about you. That doesn't do anything. All right? Don't say, I'm just thinking about you. Instead, say, how can I pray for you specifically? How can I help you personally? That is what makes a difference. Make yourself available to them. And then as you do that throughout your conversations, point them back to God because he is who they really need. Next, Elisha, he asks her a very profound question. He says, what do you have in your house? So instead of coming in and saying, okay, I'll take care of it, I've got all the answers, he instead puts the ball back in her court. And the widow replies, your servant has nothing here at all. That's her first comment, I have nothing. Her vision was limited because of the dire situation. Isn't it interesting that when you're hurting and you're lacking, all you can see is what you don't have instead of recognizing the blessings that you still do have. Take clothes, for example. Ladies, I'm going to pick on you just for a moment. Let's be honest about this. How many times have you walked into your walk-in closet, looked at all of your dresses and your hats and your shoes and your scarves, all of your outfits, you've looked at everything, and you're like, oh, my word, I have nothing to wear tonight. How many times have you done that, ladies? Yeah, I see a few shaking your heads. Okay. <laughs> All right, men, men, maybe for you, this is what I've done a couple different times. Maybe you go up to the pantry, you open it up, and you see all those canned goods that you don't like. You see all the stuff that you don't really want to take the time to prepare, and you complain to your wife, honey, we've got nothing to eat in this house. Can we please go to the grocery store? Right? How many times have we done that? Yes, we do this so often. I don't make enough money, so I can't really have a meaningful life. Or I don't have a spouse yet, or I don't have kids, so I'll never be happy. I'll always be alone. I'll always be less than. I'll always be unworthy. Every single one of those thoughts is a lie from the devil. The lie we so often believe is this. I don't have what I want, so my life doesn't really matter. 
Friends, we cannot believe that lie. I don't have what I want, so my life doesn't really matter. That is so untrue. And this is exactly where the poor widow was at first. She lost everything, and all she could see was her lack instead of recognizing the blessing that she still possessed. So first, when you don't have what you really want, understand that God is what you really need. Here's the second statement I think that can encourage us. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Stop waiting and start working. Everybody say that. Stop waiting and start working. Look at this, 2 Kings 4, verse 2. The widow says, your servant has nothing there at all except, except what? Except a small jar of olive oil. I don't have anything here at all. Oh, yeah, except that little jar of olive oil over there. You see, to us, olive oil may sound pretty useless, right? I use it occasionally when I cook the things that I choose to cook, when I don't complain about what I've already got, right? It mostly stays up high in the pantry. But in Bible times, olive oil was very, very rare and valuable. It, was had, all import, it had all different types of uses. Oil was not only used for cooking, but it was also used to help lamps burn. It was used as a skin moisturizer, believe it or not. They didn't have bath and body works that you could just walk in and buy a hundred different scents of stuff. They used olive oil for that. It was also used to keep leather pliable, to keep iron from rusting, and it was used oftentimes as an offering for God. Olive oil was very valuable, but she didn't have a lot. She only had a little jar left. I'm so thankful that God, our God, specializes in doing a lot with a little. Amen? God specializes in doing a lot with a little. All throughout Scripture, we see this happen over and over again. In the Old Testament, you may remember the story of the entire army who was afraid of the Philistines because of this one huge giant named Goliath. But who did God use? He used a little shepherd boy with a little bit of faith and a few little stones. Remember that? The boy David said, who are you to come against the armies of the living God? Everybody thinks you're too big to beat, but I think you're too big to miss. Come at me, bro. That's what little David said. And his little faith with a little bit of uh, stones and a little slingshot took down Goliath. There's a story in the New Testament about Jesus teaching thousands of people on the hillside. And when he's done, all of them are hungry. Just like you're going to be hungry after the message today. And his disciples are looking at each other and saying, uh, Master, we have to feed these people. What are we going to do? We don't have anything. So everybody looks at each other. No, nope, nobody's got anything. Nobody's got anything. And then all of a sudden, this little boy comes up and he says, Excuse me, I've got something. My mom packed me five loaves of bread and two fish. Here, take it. Use it as you will. And in the hands of Jesus, that little bit became a lot. In fact, it was enough to feed every single man, woman, and child there, and they still had 12 basketfuls left over. Later on, Jesus said that we just need a little bit of faith to make a huge difference. Some of you might think, well, good, because all I can muster up right now is a little bit of faith. Eric, I'm struggling. My situation is, is pretty bleak. All I can muster up is a little bit of faith, and I would tell you a little bit is enough. Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, 
You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing, nothing will be impossible for you. We serve a God who can do a lot with a little. However, the problem, I think, for us is oftentimes we struggle with comparing our situation to someone else's. Right? We look at others and think, well, I wish I had what they have so that I could do a little bit more, so that I could be more significant. But that's not the point. God is telling us, no, no, no. He says, stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have, with what I have given you. Maybe you're sitting on the church sidelines because you don't have that upfront personality, right? Maybe you're not a good speaker. Therefore, since you don't think you can lead or teach, you just do nothing. But you know what? We need both upfront and behind the scenes people to make this church continue doing and fulfilling our mission of loving God, serving others, and winning one. We have to have both to be able to function. Someone serving coffee and donuts, someone cleaning up during the week here, someone passing out glow sticks like we did last night in the freezing cold, someone setting up communion or running the soundboard is just as important as the people up on this stage leading us in worship and leading us through the Bible. So don't sit around and wait for somebody else's gifts. Use what gifts God has given you. And in fact, these uh, jars, there's a couple of them. I don't know if you saw them on the table uh, at communion. These are great little jars called the giving jars. Uh, somebody in the church made them. They wanted to remain anonymous. But they're simply just fill them up with your change and then give them to somebody in need. Jeff mentioned this last week. He had a huge jar that was filled with coins, and he was able to disperse that to someone in the community that had a need. This is something you can do behind the scenes that makes a big, big difference. I think there are five left, so if you want to take one today as you leave, please do that. And I would tell you, as I've seen and observed this specific campus, you guys are doing just that. You're stepping up, you're meeting needs, you're filling in, and you're serving wherever you can, however you can. So I want to applaud you and thank you for doing that and encourage you to keep up that good work. You know, there may be a mom or a dad in here who thinks that you're not as good of a provider as some other parents who are making that large salary because you can't give your kids what everybody else, what all the other kids appear to have. However, I think God would say to you, look, you're at home six nights a week. That matters. That's important. Parents, I firmly believe that the most important thing you can do is not work 80 hours a week so that your kids can have more and more stuff because that stuff doesn't matter in the end. The most important thing you can do as a parent of a two-year-old of a 12-year-old, of a 22-year-old. I don't care what their age is. The most important thing you can do as a parent is be intentional with them and make them disciples of Jesus. Point them to Jesus with your life, with your words, with your actions. And guess what? That doesn't happen if you're in the office 70 and 80 hours a week. That only happens if you are intentional and spending time with them. So use whatever God has given you to make that difference. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Stop comparing your life to someone else's. And I know that's hard, but that's what we have to do to shift our perspective and to give us that hope. 
Here's the last thing we learn from this widow in her story. Offer God what you have and trust him to give you what you need. Offer him what you have and trust him, not yourself. Trust God to give you what you need. Let's finish this up. Look at verses three through seven. Elisha said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then, then the oil stopped flowing. She went out and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. And as I read that, I thought about, my first thought was all the awkward conversations she would have had, right? Because it's kind of weird to go around to all your neighbors and ask for their empty jars, and they have no clue what you need those jars for. But that's what her and her sons did. They went around and they asked all their friends, all their neighbors for these empty jars, even though it was a little weird or uncomfortable. But that's what they did. They obeyed. And as you see that, what we come to understand is that the only limit to God's blessing was the effort that she put into collecting the jars. The only limit to God's blessing for her was the effort she put into collecting the jars. And I think that's a great reminder for us today. Maybe you've seen this take place in your life. God is willing to pour out all of his blessings on you because he loves you. He wants you to be his adopted son, his adopted daughter. But you either refuse to take that action and you disobey what he says, or you don't take him seriously enough and you only give half the effort, which means you only receive half the blessing. Church, I believe that God wants to bless each of you richly. So don't shortchange him. Don't shortchange him. And that's a hard message to hear, isn't it? God wants to bless you richly, but don't shortchange him. And I'm not talking about just finances. God wants to bless you richly in your relationships, at your job, at your school, with your families. I think of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first, and then all of these things will be added to you as well. Seek first God's kingdom, which means obey him. Obey him. Do what God is asking you to do, and you will be blessed because of it. Elisha multiplying the oil, it kind of reminds you of one of those cheap magician tricks where they just pour that water out and it just keeps pouring. That's kind of what we think of at first, but this was no magician trick. It was real life. And I believe this is proof that our God gives us ridiculous provision. He gives us ridiculous provision when we are in need, if we give it all to him. When this widow obeyed in faith and offered what she had, God gave her what she needed, and God kept providing for her until every jar was filled. She had enough to pay off the debt, and then to live the rest of her life with her and her sons. That's how our amazing, mighty, powerful God works. When we show him our faith, we get to see his faithfulness. Amen? When we show God our faith, we get to see his faithfulness in return. You know, there are so many people in need right now all over. We have an opportunity as a church to be faithful, 
and intentionally generous so that we can help meet those needs just as Elisha helped meet the needs of this widow. As you know, Hurricane Ian completely wrecked the coast of Florida recently. Lots of people had everything taken from them overnight. Homes, cars, clothes, everything, jobs, everything was gone. Through our connection with New Day Christian Church in Port Charlotte, Florida, we've got some friends here from there. Mark, y'all raise your hands. Yep, they're here this morning. And our partnership with IDES International Disaster Emergency Services. 75% of the love offering that we take up this morning is going to go directly to help those victims of the Hurricane Ian and in all those relief efforts. And if you didn't pick up an envelope season of giving, it's right on that table. So you can give two ways today. You can put a check or cash in this envelope, or there's also a QR code that you can scan and you can give online. I don't carry cash often, so that's the way to go for me. I give online uh, almost every time. So you can do that either way today. But the, those envelopes are right on the table in the lobby. But the remaining 25% is going to go directly to this community right here in Medina. We're also giving to the needs of a fantastic ministry called Oasis of Hope, and it's a pregnancy and parenting support center literally two miles from here. And we have a, a bunch of representatives. Raise y'all's hands. I know you're back there. They're here today. They've got a table set up right in the lobby. Yeah, give them a hand. Give them a hand. They're doing amazing work. 25% of that offering is going to go directly to them to continue their work. Uh, with young mothers and fathers in this community. And I love that we're able to give, uh, give locally, but also give abroad as well. So just to give you a little bit of a glimpse of each of those, we want you to watch this video, and then we'll have a time of prayer. This year's love offering is going to IDES, which stands for International Disaster Emergency Service and also Oasis of Hope. Let's learn about Oasis of Hope and the ministry they are doing in Northeast Ohio. Here at Oasis of Hope Pregnancy and Parenting Support Center, we are bringing help, hope, and healing to women, men, and families by reaching out to them with the love of God. Supporting women in choosing life for their unborn babies and offering a caring heart to women experiencing pain and sadness over the decision to terminate a past pregnancy. We come alongside women and men that are parenting small children and assist in providing spiritual, emotional, and material assistance in education providing accurate information to women and their partners regarding abstinence, pregnancy, adoption, and abortion is very important to us. We want to help our clients make the best choices, not only for themselves, but for their developing baby. Together, we can set goals, connect them with helpful community resources, and get them prepared for their baby's birth. All of our services are free of charge. Pregnancy testing, ultrasound, labor and delivery, infant CPR, and nutrition classes, along with individual mentoring with a client advocate, are just some of the services we provide. Having a baby is just the beginning of becoming a mom or dad. At Oasis of Hope, we want to support our clients in becoming caring and effective parents. Some of the programs we offer to provide parenting support and education include infant care and breastfeeding classes, STEP class, which stands for systematic training for effective parenting, mom support groups, and Bible studies, as well as men of honor and men's fraternity studies. Now, let's see how IDES is assisting with the cleanup from Hurricane Ian. I'm Rusty Russell. I'm the lead pastor at New Day Christian Church here in Port Charlotte. 
So we're standing here in my front yard, which I think is a pretty good display of the power of Hurricane Ian. If my congregation were kind of a microcosm of this community, I would say that about 80% of our congregation has trees down, fenced down, garage destroyed. About two days before the hurricane hit, we got a, an email from Ides said, we want to come. And they said, we're on our way. We're going to be there on Friday with supplies. And I think they would have been here faster if they could have possibly gotten here faster. We want to use this as an opportunity, not only to minister to our own people, but to help those in need all throughout the community. We've had people just show up at the church. Uh, I, don't, I haven't had electricity for several days. I'm almost out of water. And we're able to load up their car and they go off with water and food. And the church has been the hands and feet of Jesus. So I, I know people are asking, you know, how can I help? Well, first of all, funding IDES is, is pretty huge because if there wasn't funding, they can't just show up two days later on a truck with a bunch of supplies. And then if you have the ability to get on a roof and put up a tarp and some things like that, we certainly could use more volunteers in the coming days. We're seeing volunteers from all over the country come to help IDES and help us in this effort. It's going to be a long cleanup, but uh, we're really thankful for the help we've got. Hey Amen. Can we just give an applause for what God's doing through these people in faith? My goodness. So we believe here at Northside that prayer is very powerful. Right, Ken? Amen. And so we want to take a serious moment to call upon the Lord through prayer. And how it will work is I'll read scripture from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 15 through 20. And after I read our verse, I'll respond in prayer. But for you, if you would like to open up a hand or close your eyes and bow your head or get on your knees, whatever you feel led to do during this time of prayer, do it. Let us call upon the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Now... May he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would supply us with blessings. And out of those blessings, God, we pray that with a cheerful heart we would give them right back to you through giving to programs like IDES and Oasis of Hope and the church. God, bless us so that we can give the blessing back to you, giving us an opportunity to obey you in being righteous. Father God, would you take what we give and enrich it, causing our offering to be fruitful and plentiful, fully pleasing to you. And God, we pray that we would give with a cheerful heart, knowing well what Christ did for us on the cross knowing that our calling, Jesus' last wish, is for us to reach the nations. So God, we in faith give to you our financial seed to increase your harvest. 2 Corinthians 9:11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So Heavenly Father, we respond by boldly praying and we boldly believe that after our giving, after our offering, whatever people group you would reach or affect with our offering, we pray that it would ultimately bring thankfulness and worship to you, not ourselves. To you be the glory. To you be the glory.
verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. God, we pray that we financially provide for those who can reach others so that you will be thanked and worshiped, whether that be through Oasis of Hope or international disaster emergency services. Jesus, make your glory shine and allow our offering and obedience to you glorify your heavenly name. Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. God, we pray that as we give to you as a body, as a church, that we would provide the love of Christ for all people. That through the financial giving from our pockets, that our church would be in obedience to you, giving with cheer giving with faith, that through our offering we will see new brothers and sisters come to know you. And God, more important than money, we offer our prayers for those who have not experienced your love. May our giving and our offering be a glimpse of your imaginable love that Jesus has given to us through his resurrection, through his death. And God, we end this prayer with 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to you for your indescribable gift, the gift of Jesus our Savior. In your heavenly name we pray, amen. Church, could you please stand? God has laid some needs before us today, and I pray that we would be intentionally generous to meet those needs. But before we leave, before we give that offering, let me just wrap up with this. Elisha told the widow to go and collect jars. Notice he didn't say what type of jar. He didn't say what size of jar to get. He didn't say what shape of jar to get. He only gave one requirement. He said, those jars you get must be what? Empty. Say it again. They must be what? One more time. They must be what? Empty. So how does this apply for us? 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What is Paul speaking about? Friends, we, we are those clay jars. Our bodies are those clay pots. God is still looking for a few empty jars this morning. When we empty ourselves of our pride, of our greed, of our selfishness, of our own agendas, and we come to God totally empty, it is then that he can fill us up. He can't fill us if we come to him already filled. He only fills us when we come to him empty and broken. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. Oil is synonymous with the Holy Spirit, and it's used as a synonym there in the Old Testament. And when that happens, you realize that even though you don't have what you want, God is really what you need when you come to him empty. He becomes sufficient in every single way. So church, as we end, I want you to hear this. When you are hurting, he is your comforter. When you are weak, he is your strength. When you are lost, he is your guide. When you are hungry, he is the bread of life. When you are thirsty, he is living water. When your life is unstable and on shaky ground, He is the rock that does not move. And when you don't have much, God is everything you will ever need. 
If you came here today hurting and in need, then please come with the most empty version of yourself because that is all God wants for us, to come to him with open arms and open hearts and open hands and to be empty so that he can fill us. So if you have a decision to make today, if you need prayer, if you need to make a first-time decision for God and place your faith in him, then don't wait. Come right now as we sing.